Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. You know what that you know what that means, Mike Murphy. I know that's. Uh, I'm getting hives. Go ahead. No, I know this is. Uh, I know what this song means to you. It you, you as close as you were to Alf Landon and Herbert Hoover. <laughs> A great great pair of Americans. But I'll tell you what it means. That's Happy Days Are Here Again, the old Democratic anthem. And what it means is that the president is going to start. He's going to launch his fall campaign this week, apparently, with a speech at the Democratic National Committee later this week. So uh, big, big doings on the campaign trail. He's cranking yeah, up started. the campaign machine. It started. What that also means is that it's public domain, so we can afford it. So it was the yes. perfect intersection of topic music and and now guest. We decided to penetrate the, the veil around what really goes on in Washington in the campaign year. We needed a really smart, gifted journalist. And on the fourth phone call, we found one, somebody who has managed to turn a year sitting on a bar stool into a highly talked about new book called Thank You for Your Servitude. It is our friend, the great, the great writer, Mr. Mark Leibovich is here. Hey. Hey, guys. Hey, brother. Thanks for having me on. This is, uh, wow. I mean, this is, I can't get, I actually don't get paid for this, but yeah, nothing but, it's nothing but joy already. Just even the outlet. <laughs> Available on Amazon.com. Probably the apex of your morning. Uh, probably. Yeah. You know what? Actually, this ensures in the half hour left in the morning that I will actually get something done or at least something on tape. <laughs> well, here, listen. Let's 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 engage in this topic. We want to get to uh, the Republican side, and we want to get to your book. But uh, but the president is going out there, and I it strikes me, you guys, as as a kind of very tricky pass for him to navigate because he has a whole bunch of accomplishments that he's proud of. I think justifiably legislative accomplishments that he wants to go out and sell. He he probably wants to go and lay some wood on the Republicans, although that's not his forte. Uh, but the Republicans want him to be front and center in this race. Uh, they want this to be a referendum on Biden because he's still sitting there, even though his numbers are improved with a approval rating in the low 40s or hugging 40 there. Uh, Murphy, what advice would you give him? Well, I would. And the problem is, I would give him the advice that I think he's constitutionally, and I mean by temperament, not by law, unable to follow, which is go out with a very disciplined, give him a hell Harry kind of thing, railing about a do-nothing Republican Congress. Instead, he tends to want to repeat a long list of confusing legislative accomplishments. You know, give kind of the Democratic Senate caucus update. And you're right. The, the Irs want to make this a referendum on him. Uh, particularly in Senate races, well, you know, we got candidates who could easily pass for a cinder block. So, you know, I'm not sure this thing will work. I mean, I think the last thing I'll say is Biden's got the problem when your numbers get to a certain point, even good news, they, they're mad at you for because the messenger is a problem. And I, I'd be disheartened as a Democrat. And we're going to talk about the NBC poll that he hasn't got more of a left. Finally, I'd go hammer that chips bill. 
That is good paying American jobs. Screw the Chinese. It's a good bumper sticker. Works in some of the key Senate states. I'd really focus and narrow what I talk about rather than try to boil the ocean, which I fear is what Biden will do. Lebo, you're a student of uh, of of people and politicians in particular. What what do you think uh, is going through Biden's head right now? I mean, I, I think he. I mean, I actually think even though I, I agree with Mike, I don't think he would like to sort of. I I, I think he his in in his uh, impulse will be to probably hype this more than it needs to be. I I think he probably would be advised at this point to do a do no harm strategy in some ways. I mean, I think he has done legislatively a whole lot of good. He does have a good story to tell. I'd probably be very selective in where to send him. But I think the best thing that that he has going for him right now is that Republicans are kind of nuts these days, right? And I think Trump being in the news is good for him. Mm -hmm. I think it's good for the White House. Um, You know, but you obviously can't say, all right, we're just going to let them, um, you know, we're just going to sort of stand here and like not do anything but look i i think he i think they'll be probably pretty pretty selective in where they send him what he says i think you know chips you're right mike is probably a good message for him and you know hopefully he'll stay somewhat um you know tethered to to the safe zone which is not always his his uh his forte but here's the thing biden if when you look at the states where Dem- first of all he let's start with this premise the best thing that can happen to Joe Biden in the next two months is that Democrats do better than people expect in the fall. They hang on to the Senate. They don't. Uh, the losses in the House are less than they believe. They gain governorships, and all of a sudden, the the story of earlier in the year that they're headed for uh, a catastrophe uh, turns around, and now everybody's looking at Trump for having saddled them with bad candidates and so on. That's the the best case scenario for Biden. He shouldn't try and run or win a presidential race in the next two months. Uh, the, the, the second thing is, and there have been a couple of stories in the last few days in the Post and uh, I think on Reuters today about the fact that in these swing states, Democrats don't want him to come. They don't right, want right. to be with him because in most of those states, like he is sitting at 40 because in states like California, New York and others, his numbers are are, 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 are pretty good. In these swing states, he's well underwater, most of them by right. 10 points or more. He's a big he's a big load uh, for them. They don't want to be with him. Yeah, the execution problem. You're right. So. You go do a perfect event. You actually get Biden on message and get him to stay and deliver a pretty good speech. And the local reporters are all like, yeah, but Harvey Baggett Donuts, the congressional candidate, came down with dental emergency today and isn't here. That's the real story. Democrats hate Biden. Candidate afraid to appear. Biden radioactive. He's too many donuts. I got to give credit to that. That's a generic That's a generic candidate name that the, the late great Rich Bond invented. Joe Bag of Donuts, and it's stuck with me. But anyway, the local Joe Bag of Donuts doesn't show because he's hiding in his campaign office trying to be invisible, which never works. And then you get side stories. Or on the other side of the state. Yeah, right, right. It, you know, I, I literally, in the Dole campaign, when it was folding in 88, Gene Kirkpatrick was going to come out and endorse us in the big turnaround. And he got the cell phone call two hours before the rally. Ambassador Kirkpatrick has come down with a very serious dental emergency. <laughs> I'll be able to attend. I'd never seen the old dental emergency move before. No, but this obviously was the, obviously 
was part of an extraction, though. She was trying to extract herself from a <laughs> commitment that commitment that she made. I got the genius of that. That was extraction. It was that was good. I just want to recognize <laughs> that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm just filling here. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But anyway. Yeah. Oof, no, perfect. no, no. He's brushed up on his metaphors quite a well, bit. Well, no, no. To my punch, because Leibovich is a yeah. master. We go on for hours yeah. sometimes, but we won't do that here. No. So there there are, uh, I think, Republic, I think Democratic Party, uh, just one more thing, and then I want to get onto today's primaries uh, and the NBC poll you mentioned, but Democratic ads are starting, Mike, and what would you do? with those generic democratic ads because i think there'll be a lot of pressure maybe from the white house to to feature biden in those and to make him the hero of the story yeah i think he's better for radio <laughs> i mean i i wouldn't i would not hang a lantern on that everybody else is gonna biden has the ability to make news from the position he has I, i'd stick with that i think they need the obvious ads going after republicans they need to mobilize based on roe and they've got a job story now with, it, with this multi-state chip bill which is huge made in america future of manufacturing uh so they've got good good bumper sticker family economic things to talk about and i would go there with the paid advertising i would not do biden if I were making those decisions, man, I would be very comparative, very, very comparative on the positive job story you're talking about, the accomplishment story versus, you know, the crazy, uh, you know, off the edge Republicans that Leibovich is talking about, the, the uh, abortion rights and election denial and Trump. Yeah, yeah. And Trump will help you. The essence of midterm elections and the reason why uh, the incumbent party almost always loses ground is that they tend to be uh, referendums on current conditions and the incumbent. And uh, and you need to change that dynamic. And I think you have to keep some focus on the Republicans, uh, Leibovich. Yeah, well, I mean, they've done a good job helping the Democrats along there. I mean, yeah, the last really four, three, four weeks, it's been solid Trump news um, ever since the, uh, not the raid, the search on Mar-a-Lago. The, I mean, that's been, I mean, that's been front and center. I mean, there's been a drip of news every single day. And, and again, I, I mean, Biden is not particularly good at going after Republicans at this point. And, and it's hard to know how to do that. I mean, if you're Joe Biden, do you want to lower yourself to sort of, well, first of all, you can't really you can't really weigh in on an ongoing investigation, especially if it involves your Justice Department. Right. No, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You can't do that. You got to stay away from that. But, I mean, you can talk more generally. And, and obviously, Biden doesn't want to go after Herschel Walker specifically or Dr. Oz. I mean, tempting as that might be. But I think if you look at the sort of larger picture of like what the Republican plan is, I mean, Republicans, I mean, I, I can't remember a Republican party that has had less to run on as far as what their ideas are. I mean, I haven't even heard other than other than election denial, other than, um, you know, we're going to we're going to eliminate, you know, abortion. We're going to eliminate, you know, same sex marriage. I mean, there, there's a lot of of sort of fear that the Democrats could work with, frankly, on, on the other side, because I don't I don't I mean, it's not like they're laying out a contract with America circa 
you know, 2022 or even anything close. Um, uh, that's so, totally true. But the hook is they don't need a lot of that. This is the old pin the tail on the donkey protest election. <laughs> they got gas pumps, right. groceries, inflation, you know, stuff to pound on. But you're right. There's nothing there. So lucky for them, they can just be pure opposition, which is where the Republicans have been more comfortable for the last decade. You know, they're, they haven't really been in the governing idea. And all, none of Trump's new ideas were particularly conservative at all. He was a big government Republican of the of the worst kind. But I agree. Biden's got a good stump, which is let's talk about the Republican vision for the future here in Georgia. Abortion will be illegal, even for victims of rape, even for victims of um, uh, incest. You know, in the worst situations, abortion illegal, doctors put in jail um, and just go down the, you know, down the, the roll there. Um, and then then Herschel Walker you know, is going to get a million. Well, is that your vision? How come you're for no, well, I'm yeah. And they'll talk about Chinese bad air. So, you know, Biden can kind of set a, an agenda to go make all the Republican candidates react to it, which I think would be effective if he could execute. This NBC poll was in some ways, it, it had some good news for Democrats. Democrats had closed since May, the enthusiasm gap. I think the Dobbs decision has a lot to do uh, with that. And enthusiasm is a lot of the reason why incumbent parties lose these midterm uh, elections. By the same token, they have a, a generic, I think the Republicans were two points ahead or so, it's essentially tied. Right. That That is better than where Democrats were, but it's about six or seven or eight points less than they would need to actually win seats. And, and, uh, and it's probably about, you know, six or seven points out of where they'd need to hang on to the house. So it, it was a, uh, it, it is a mixed, uh, a mixed thing, but. Well, just Biden is not getting a lift. You know, it, it, I, I was looking for a lot, but if I were a Democrat, I'd want something. Cause we, they got to put about eight points of favorable on Biden to get back in business. And that could really tip the Senate races where, where they've got some lucky advantages based on candidate quality. Um, as Mitch McConnell would say. So, um, you know, it, it, it's not the news they need, but it's, at least it's not backwards. The candidate quality thing is where I wanted to go. Uh, I wanted to play this little clip. You know, Ron Johnson uh, in Wisconsin, who there is a little bit of a Joe Bag of Donuts quality to the guy, but he's and he's and he's become, you know, deeply, deeply enmeshed in the conspiracy theory world. And he was implicated in reporting uh, for trying to transfer to uh, Pence on the day of the January 6th, a alternative slate of uh, electors from, uh, I guess, Wisconsin. Uh, and so he was asked about this by a I guess he was doing some sort of right wing TV, but he was asked about this. Here's what he had to say. My involvement in that that attempt to deliver spanned the course of a couple seconds. I got, a, I think I fielded three texts and sent two and talked to my chief of staff that somebody wants you to deliver something. Yeah. yeah I, I knew nothing about it. And in the end, those electors were not delivered because we found out from vice president's staff they didn't want them delivered. End of story. <laughs> you know, I was just running a little lost and found here and a guy came in with a pair of sneakers and I said, why don't you take him down to Macy's? Then a guy came in with a plan to subvert the Constitution to steal the election. I said, eh, maybe take him over to Pence. Yeah, that was it. Then I ordered lunch. You know, then then I went home and mowed my lawn. Nothing. Yes. Yeah, the, unbelievable. Yes. But for a few seconds, he's completely in the clear. 
completely in the clear. Yeah. That sort of reminds me. Yeah. This, this was this did not get the attention that I think it deserved. But they asked Marco Rubio right out about a month after the insurrection. They said, um, Senator Rubio, you know, what about this? Whose fault was this? And he said, Well, look, I I, I don't think I'm paraphrasing. He said, I, I don't think Donald Trump gets the credit. He deserves for having a lot of very, very peaceful events over the course of his four <laughs> years in office. I think people focus yeah. on that one on January 6th where there was an insurrection. But look, I mean, he he was able to, to have yeah. many very peaceful events where no one was arrested. No one died. Um, anyway. Yeah. Can I let me ask you? Let me ask you about that, actually. Yeah. I mean, the point is the Republicans, you know, McConnell was right when he said, you know, candidates matter. And basically said Trump saddled us with a bunch of dogs without saying it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, since you raised Rubio, I want to ask you guys. You know, Val Demings is a really good candidate. Yeah, uh, Florida's a tough state. And now, uh, Mike, I know you've done a lot of work down there. Can Demings? Could she possibly beat Rubio in this kind of year? Well, that's the problem. In a regular year, it would be a tighter race. She is an underrated candidate. You know, Florida is interesting. It's been moving red in a lot of dimensions, but it's one of the more pro-choice states in America. An index is pretty high on that. So there's some stuff for her to work with. But unless Biden's numbers there improve, Rubio's going to kind of have, I think, an invisible force field. So I, th I think she'll catch on. I think the race will tighten a bit. But in the end, I would still be pessimistic if I were with Demings because of the big Biden environment. Were that to change, then it could be a, a different ballgame down there. And we should mention that today is primary day in Florida. Exactly. And there's kind of an interesting governor's primary. You want to wade into that for a minute with Charlie Crist. For sure. Versus Nikki Freed. So I'll give the top line, uh, David, and then you guys can jump in and comment. It's kind of an interesting. Charlie Frist used to be the attorney general of Florida on the Republican side. Chain gang Charlie, they called him, because he kind of ran on that idea, which was, you know, rocket fuel in the Republican primary. Then he became governor of Florida. Um, and then I won't go through his whole long thing, but he basically wound up a Tampa Democratic congressman. And now he's in the uh, in the primary for a, a comeback against Nikki Freed, who was the southeastern Florida candidate, ag commissioner. She was kind of a rising star, and then it all imploded. Most polls show uh, Chris with a comfortable lead. So I think it's going to be Charlie uh, 2.0. And for all the mocking of Charlie Crist, he is a remarkably resilient candidate. He's like the cat that gets thrown out of three different things and always lands on its feet. So I, I don't think he's the favorite here, but I, I think he will, he'll, he'll put the iron on DeSantis for a while. The race will get interesting. Chris is a sort of a do no harm in some ways. I mean, he yeah. could be, I mean, as a Democrat, I mean, like he's a known quantity. And if you want to vote against it, if you want to run against DeSantis and you don't like DeSantis and obviously DeSantis is a pretty polarizing figure. Uh, I mean, I think Christ would, would probably pass muster as a fairly ch safe choice for a lot of people who are on the fence. He's always had a Tampa base too, which is a good thing to have in Florida statewide politics. Yeah. That's where he, he represents. He, uh, in Congress, he has a, uh, he was a Republican governor, undoubtedly, when this primary is over. He's run basically on electability that he's a moderate, uh, more moderate than Freed, and that he's the guy who can beat DeSantis. And I guess the question is, are there, particularly among women, are there fallen away or uh, distraught Republicans and independents uh, angry right. over this issue, uh, the the Dobbs issue? And, and uh and DeSantis's kind of bully ball uh, uh, 
uh, is that right? Bully ball. Yeah, uh, that works. Or bully boy tactics. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. Bully boy tactics. Well, I'm here to help around I'm here around to help. around uh, cultural issues. And you know, a a very astute political observer down there who knows both of them made a remark that really stuck with me. He says Charlie Crist and Governor DeSantis have one thing in common. I believe, having known both of them for a long time, that neither of them believe in anything. And they're both capable of being Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump if they thought it would move the ball forward. So this could be quite a pair of uh, cynical scorpions in the bottle kind of race, which is always entertaining, at least. Well, DeSantis is obviously feeling confident about it because he was on the road last week uh, for the two most outspoken right wing MAGA candidates running, Doug Mastriano and in uh, Pennsylvania who's running for governor, Carrie Lake. Uh, in uh, in in Arizona, uh, and he was really sort of trotting out his. He he asked to come and do rallies for them, and he was trotting out his uh, 2024 rap here. So we have a several clips of them. We were able to announce our first 20 prosecutions across the state six weeks after the office started, and we're going to continue to do it. If you're voting illegally, we're going to hold you accountable. If you're double voting, we're going to hold you accountable. If you're ballot harvesting, we are going to hold you accountable. So there you go. He was bragging about Florida to a crowd in Pittsburgh, a crowd of election deniers. And it gives you a sense of where he's going. Oh, yeah. No, he doesn't think you can get far enough right in a Republican primary. And that theory will be tested. But um yeah, I'm not sure it's the smartest bet for him. I don't. Somebody will always out crazy him when he's really in a primary. Yeah. How about Donald Trump? Well, yeah. Yeah. He's never going to out election deny Trump because DeSantis tends to pull back at the end, you know, with some of this stuff. So I, I don't know. But yeah, he's, he's, he's all primary all the time. And, you know, Chris will, will work that. Yeah. So, and I think Chris can raise money. So again, he's the favorite, but I don't think it's going to be a walk. No, but I'm really, I'm asking you guys about this 24 strategy. It seems to me if Trump is running now, maybe he's making a bet that Trump won't run. If Trump is running, I don't think he's going to replace Trump in the hearts of hardcore MAGA voters. His play was, was to sort of get the people who were kind of, uh, more, uh, a little less entranced by Trump who wanted a replacement for Trump, but was still acceptable to the MAGA voters. Right. The pro-Trump past Trump vote, which is a plurality in a lot of the polling now in the, among primary voters. Yeah. But we're see, we're see how the raid plays out. You know, there are always new inputs that are moving the thing around. Hey, uh, Leibovitz, you're, you're at the Atlantic now. Uh, when are you going to do a big takeout on DeSantis? It seems like he, that's right down your alley. You know, okay, I'll do it. Um, give me a, give me a few weeks. No, I, you know what he, um, I'll call him. I, I might do it. I mean, he's, he's a piece obviously compelling in that he's sort of seen as a default kind of alternative to Trump. Although I don't really quite know why. I mean, yeah, he has these fairly, you know, shallow kind of easy hot button issues. I mean, I'm not sure that's going to play in Western Pennsylvania, but, um, yeah, I mean, he's obviously very ambitious. I mean, what, what's interesting to me about him is, uh, I, I think it's under, stated the degree to which trump will sort of a- absolutely turn him to mush if it gets to a head-to-head situation or even if it doesn't i, I mean, agree 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, people, first of all, Republican congressmen who work with him or fellow Republican governors even say he's a weird dude. I mean, he does not, he doesn't do eye contact. He's not terribly charming. He's not great on his feet. Um, you know, he's obviously smart, but he, I mean, he's the kind of guy that Trump like has a lot of fun with potentially. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly don't really see i mean he, he's he's running kind of a culture campaign which can be very effective it's the question is can that scale in any meaningful way beyond people who are sick of trump and the republican party well that's a that's a good point because he really got one if you're a florida governor you have you know you have a ticket to the game but you can raise money you got a base you got voters you got a relatively early primary but he also during the masking wars is when he broke out as a cultural warrior because he was the only real big state governor who uh who kind of got out the music and really played it there and it started to resonate but but you're also right about the weird you know rick scott another florida statewide paul wants to be president has that too that kind of unease yeah there's something in the water in tallahassee i guess The reality is that um, DeSantis is making a big bet here. He's got it's hubris, uh, and Trump looks at DeSantis and like Trump believes that he created everyone. He actually did DeSantis, but in this case, he did yeah, create true. DeSantis. Yeah. So I'm sure that gives him a little bit more uh, of an impetus to uh, to want to smack him down hard if DeSantis were to actually challenge him. Oh, totally. But there's also the General Stalin thing, you know, that Trump has, which is there can be no other light. I mean, you know, Stalin would hear some general won a battle and he'd say, great, send him a medal. And two days later, the family and the general would be dead because there can <laughs> only be one sun god. And so, oh, DeSantis is in very dangerous territory, which I'm sure he knows, which is why, well, I got to kill him because he's going to yeah. kill me. And DeSantis is trying to kill him. And, you know, we're see, we're see, I, I'm a little more optimistic, I think, about his chances than you guys are. But there's so much yet to happen. You're a never Trumper Republican. If you're in the Republican Party, does a guy who's trying to be more Trump than Trump, is that an acceptable alternative to you and the people who you, you know, traffic with? Oh, no, no. But we're a small part of the primary. and We don't matter. I'm looking at the post-Trump, pro-Trump vote which is now the plurality in the Republican party. And I don't think he'll be able to out Trump Trump because you can't out crazy, you know, the atomic clock of craziness, <laughs> but DeSantis can run that same culture war populism with a base younger and not completely whining about uh, DeSantis only complains about the election results to give himself cover. Trump wants to talk about it 24 seven. So there's a Trump fatigue that DeSantis could replace by capturing a lot of the same energy in the primary. Now, God help him in a general election. Maybe he's better than Trump. Depends who the Democrats nominate, who may do three quarters of the Republican work uh, next time. But but I don't think it's going to be a scale of who's out. It's going to be who's Trump acceptable, who can do the secret dog language to the voters that they're not a impeachment voting, you know, traitor. Uh, and DeSantis can totally do that. And he can raise a lot of money. And he's younger, which is another issue in a in a potential Biden reelect race that Trump doesn't really have. While we're on the Republicans, uh, Murphy, what what's going on within the councils of the? It seems like there's a civil war going on within the oh, Republican the committee. Party. Yeah, yeah. So just quickly for our listeners who 
you know, have real lives. The, the campaign world in Washington on both sides is three big party committees, the Republican National Committee, the Democratic, and they run the convention, they're the home party. But the place where the money is raised and spent on both sides is either the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DTRIP, or the the NRCC, National Republican Congressional Committee. And then on the House side, it's the National Republican Senate Committee. And there are always consultant crime wars about which senator has the committee for the cycle and hires all their vendors and tells the campaigns not to use another vendor. Endless, endless slappy fight gossip about contracts and favoritism. Been around forever. I remember when Phil Graham had that committee. It was Graham for president. Well, now Rick Scott of Florida has the committee. And there is broken out into the open. There's a, it's in the newsletter and there's a Washington Post story that they've apparently spent very little on television to assist Republican candidates, but they've spent millions on consultants and we need an audit. And it's really a couple of consultant crime families fighting and surrogates, including the McConnell people who are unhappy. Now, McConnell, who normally is very closely integrated with the NRSC, the Senate committee, uh, has formed his own big committee because he's covering his bets and it's a very well-run political operation. So there's static there too. So I've seen this fighting for a long time, never at this level out and open in the newspapers. And, you know, I don't know the books there. I'm banned from that zip code these days, but I do know that the numbers they've leaked, if true, are very troubling. They show an NRCC, which has spent a lot of money on things other than voter contact, which is what wins and loses elections. It wouldn't be the first time that Rick Scott has gotten caught up in some uh, creative uh, math bookkeeping issues. Yes, uh, yes, it is true. We know that. Let's stop for a minute and listen to a word from one of our fine sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. You know, Brother Axelrod, we're a couple of cool cats, international political consultants, men of mystery. So you say, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been able to pull you along in my wake. The <laughs> problem is, though, there's a cool club that I can't get into and neither can you, which is the secret coupon code when you shop online. I don't know about you, but I love to shop online. Amazon has built a small shrine to me in a local warehouse. But when it asks for the secret discount coupon on a brand name site or other e-merchants, I never have the coupon. There's like a party I'm not invited to. What are we going to do about that? Well, we've got an answer for you, brother, and that's called Honey. Uh, Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. You don't have to do the work. Oh, I like that. Imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites, as you acknowledge you do. Uh, when you check out, the Honey button appears, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons and wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons it can find for that site. And guess what? If Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop, and I know how you love that. Oh, I'm a fiscal conservative, unlike you over there, Trotsky, but we both <laughs> like a good deal. And I'm telling you, I've been playing around with this thing. I bought a camera bag the other day and it works. You wait a little while for the search and bingo, bango, you get the secret coupon that to this moment has eluded me, making me feel like an outsider, like a loser, like somebody who's paying more than I should for the same stuff other people buy for less. And honey is my magic answer. Yeah. Problem is now you got to buy a camera, but 
that's a different issue. I'll use Honey. And you know what? Honey doesn't just work on your desktop, Mike. It works on your iPhone, too, because I know you're a man on the go. You just activate it on Safari on your phone and you save. I'll tell you, I love honey and not just the kind bears like. So enough (laughs) jibber jabber. How do our listeners get this? What do you do? What's the website? If you don't already have honey, you could be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this show. And here's how. Get honey for free at joinhoney.com slash hacks. Get honey for free, for free, Murphy, at joinhoney.com slash hacks. That's joinhoney.com slash hacks hacks another great sponsor we're grateful for thanks honey and i don't mean you murphy (laughs) so there's another set of primaries going on in um oh these are great today this is going to be fun in new york city uh, you have a bunch of congressional primaries. You have sort of the Jurassic Park primary between Jerry Nadler and Carolyn Maloney, two longtime 30-year members of the House who got thrown together in it's a district. It's east side, there. west side of Manhattan. Yes, Nadler exactly. West, she's on the east. They got shoved into one district. And we ought to just say that the, the election was delayed till August when nobody's in a lot of New York City uh, because the Democrats were so greedy in their one party and the Republicans would try the same, but they were so greedy in their redistricting, the court took it over and rewrote it. And now it's a horror show because they've scrambled everything. You've got these long-term incumbents in a, in a Hunger Games war. Yeah, and it looks like Nadler actually is the, Maloney's decided to run to the left Nadler is the moderate candidate in the race, and it looks like he he got the the coveted New York Times endorsement, which probably means more in that district than anywhere else, and uh, looks like he's going to... uh, He also got Elizabeth Warren's endorsement, is that right? Yeah. Now, first, Jerry's not a moderate. I mean, he's the perfect congressman from Manhattan. He fits the constituents. He's very effective, a smart, savvy guy, so I don't like him ideologically, but I respect him. But yeah, he got Warren. He got the New York Times, which, as you say, the only place that really matters is a couple of districts like that. Uh, and he's got a lot of the local polls and he's got the West side and those, those nice little old ladies up there, they vote even in the middle of August in hundred degree weather. So I'd give him the edge. Plus Lebo, he's a, he's a member of the tribe. You know what? That can't hurt in New York. The question, the question <laughs> yeah, is in that district too. Yeah. He's playing it big actually. Absolutely. No, it's smart to play it big. I mean, is there actually any reliable polling in a race like that? I mean, can you do that? It's very little. This, I mean, you're probably not right. Yeah. Although the, the margins of the polling that has been done are so large that it would be pretty shocking if Nadler didn't uh, win that race. And then just south of there, there's another race, Brooklyn, Manhattan district. You have a whole bunch of progressive candidates running in a race, an assemblyman, a council member, a member of Congress from Westchester who came down and moved to Brooklyn to run in this district when he got redistricted out. And the race... It looks very much like it may go to, again, a more moderate candidate, Dan Goldman, who was the uh, federal prosecutor who assisted the uh, impeachment of Trump, the first impeachment of Trump, and was quite a presence in those hearings. He, he's also a checkbook candidate. I mean, he's spending four or five million. He's a Levi Strauss heir. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he's got a big wallet. And he, and he got the Times endorsement, which is meaningful there. But, you know, not, not necessarily a red letter day for progressives in new york in this in this particular election 
And then finally, there's the 19th, which is one of the great yeah. swing districts up yes, in the Hudson yes. Valley that went for both Trump and Biden and Obama, flips back and forth by five or six points. It's been redistricting, redistricted, but the incumbent there got beamed up the lieutenant governor. So there's a special to serve out the last few terms. And it's kind of the great ready to be overanalyzed special election because it's such a swing district in the last few months of its life. And there's a tight race between a Republican and Democrat there that I think there'll be a lot of kind of analysis. of. Yeah, I think that one's going to be well watched and probably overanalyzed one way or the other to see whether, in fact, Democrats do have uh, any kind of momentum now. Lebo, let's talk about your book and this Republican Party and the cult that is Do- Donald Trump and uh, and some of the, the major characters who you uh, who you spent a lot of time studying for this uh, for this tome. Yeah, I decided that we what we really needed was another Trump book. So I would write <laughs> Trump book. I would try to get whatever White House intrigue everyone else missed. No, actually, that's um, the first rule of like selling a book. To say exactly the opposite of what you've done. No, I did not <laughs> want to write a Trump book. I, I wanted to write, you know, my, my sort of rough original mission was to sort of write the story of Washington during the Trump years. And I decided that the great, I think, lesser told story of these years is to sort of take readers on a kind of a journey of the enablers and how people like Kevin McCarthy, like Lindsey Graham, like Marco Rubio, like Ted Cruz, even Mitch McConnell to some degree sort of came to embrace Donald Trump, whether, you know, even though they sort of privately despised him. And that to me, I think remains the story of Washington and the story of politics, which is the continued, um, sort of surrender of the Republican Party to things that I think certainly aren't conservative in, in any kind of classical way, but but also that create just constant dissonance, which, you know, to me is is an incredible character study that has played out over six, seven years and sort of continues to this day. I mean, you mentioned DeSantis. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, it, it's bizarre that he's seen as a Trump alternative now because there he was so comically derivative as a Trump fanboy when he ran for governor years ago um you know to me that sort of told the joke you know really nakedly so anyway i wanted to tell the story of of the trump years through 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 the lens of these sort of peripheral characters who i think allowed him to happen i mean i think one undertold story here is that trump didn't have to happen i mean i think the republicans have sort of again surrendered to him they could have stopped him in 2016. They could have stopped him, you know, at various points in his presidency. And they certainly could have stopped him after he lost the last election, after January 6th. And yet it keeps going. And the fact that we're still talking about him now, um, you know, is, is just a remarkable development in politics. And, and to me, one of the central messages of the book is that I, I cannot believe, I mean, I think it's for as depressing as January 6th was and the post-election period was, it's even more depressing that the fact that that this thing is still alive, the thing that the idea that politics did not revert to something in the general ballpark of normalcy after Biden won, after the Senate flipped, after the House stayed Democratic. Um, and 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 look, I mean, here we are. We're, we're still operating in a world that I think fundamentally is um, something that, that no one fully understands. But I think we see the contours especially on the Republican Party of of just a 
just a total terror at Donald Trump and sort of getting on the wrong side of his supporters. I totally agree with that. A thing I loved about the book, it kind of opens at, you found the hive, which wasn't the White House. It was that hotel he built. Now, I vowed to never step foot in it when he was elected, so I've never been inside. But you paint a vivid... They sold it, so you can go yeah, back yeah. now. Well, I'm, I'm going to... I understand the first seven Feng Shui masters they sent in immediately dropped dead, so I'm, I'm going <laughs> to wait a while for the... the We've got to get the Ghostbusters in there and a lot of iodine. But, but, you know, you paint a great picture of that Star Wars bar scene there, and I maybe, maybe talk about that, because I think it is kind of the perfect metaphor of his palace and the supplicants. Yeah. I mean, the Trump hotel was, I mean, this was Rick's American cafe for the Trump years, right? I mean, it's, it was, I mean, you'd go in there and I, and this is not the kind of place left to my devices I'd want to be hanging out in. Um, but a lot of reporters were in there. You'd see Republican congressmen, you'd see these really kind of heavy drinking white house administration, people, just people just spending their days doing things that they, that they, they couldn't even, you know, kind of comprehend and talk about. And you'd have these scenes where Trump himself would come in and he would order his, you know, he'd he'd have this big um, entrance and he'd get people standing on seats applauding him. And it would be like Cinderella himself or herself coming to the castle, right? And you'd have all these manga tourists and, and he would show up and he'd get his 40 ounce steak and he'd get his he'd get his shrimp cocktail and he'd get his fries and he'd get his diet Cokes and he'd get his chocolate cake for dessert. And it was the center of Washington for better or for worse. And it was halfway between the, the white house and the, uh, and the Capitol. And it was just sort of a bizarre. Don't judge, but that sounds like a pretty good meal to me, but that's, yeah, that's just I, like me. I said, I'm going to break my rule. I actually don't meet <laughs> you there, but it's closed. <laughs> we could, we could partake. The BLT steakhouse is, is very good. It's a high quality. <laughs> steak. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then to the other ones. Yeah. But no, it was, uh, it, that is true. But I mean, the fact that Donald Trump remains alive, despite his, uh, lack of fitness regimen and his, you know, his sort of fatty diet, I think is, is itself an incredible sort of understated miracle of these years. You know, you talk about how remarkable it is that we're still talking about him. But at the end of the day, there's a market. He There's a market for it. I mean, these guys who uh, you write about are not wedded to Trump by dint of affection. They're wedded to him by dint of they feel necessity that, you know, Lindsey Graham would have lost if he had run for re-election in South Carolina uh, had he not changed course. And so the, the real question is, why is there such a market for what Trump and the Trump knockoffs like DeSantis are selling within the Republican Party? Right. I mean, I think, look, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is just fear, first of all. I mean, I think people underestimate how scary it is to get on the wrong side of Donald Trump. If you are kind of a, a member of the sort of congressional, you know, if, you, if you're used to sort of being a made man or made woman in Washington, to sort of be suddenly despised, at, you know, with the speed of a tweet and to be attacked and to be, you know, and to, to risk losing your job, which I mean, to me, the big question here is, is your job really worth it? Um, you know, right, I, exactly. I, I sort of watch Lindsey Graham sort of grovel to the degree that he did and, and flip positions to the degree that he did. Why do you think it is so important to him? 
Well, I think in his case, he doesn't have much else in his life. I mean, he right. doesn't have right. a lot of family. He doesn't have a lot of friends outside of politics. Um, and yeah, obviously in, in deep red South Carolina, you need to play that game. And, and Trump's very popular there. But um, no, Lindsey Graham gets, and he did this, and he was pretty open about this when John McCain was alive. I mean, he was, uh, he got great emotional sustenance from, from being at the dice table, as he would say, um, you know, McCain got him into war zones. He got him into these really sort of high adrenaline environments. Trump did too. And, and look, I mean, Lindsey Graham, not only was it politically helpful to be seen golfing with the president and photographed everywhere, but it was, he, he just got a major kick out of it. I mean, this was sort of where he lived in, in a, kind of almost spiritual way and he just sort of needed it and he he even said explicitly to me it's like it's an addiction it's like you need more of that i worked with him a lot in the mccain days and Lindsay is a beta who needs an alpha to like follow around or there's nothing and he addiction is the right word because uh you know otherwise it's it, it is his entire life and like a solar panel he has to be near a bright sun or he just he flickers out and, you know, he'll rationalize that. Oh, you know, I'm the, I nudged Trump in the right direction. It's the old Fritz Van Patten thing. You know, I can handle, handle the Fuhrer, but, but it's, that's just an illusion. He has to be near somebody like that. And he, he found the wicked one. Yeah. And what about McCarthy? You write quite a bit about him. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of the same deal with him. I mean, he, he has decided that for as much of a pain in his ass that Donald Trump is, and he will say that explicitly, he figures that that all the indignity that he has suffered for Donald Trump will just be redeemed if he can be Speaker of the House. He wants to be Speaker of the House. He's in position to be Speaker of the House. If Republicans win the House in November, um, McCarthy probably has a, you know, certainly a, a very good chance of being Speaker. It sort of depends on the margin, but I think he, he it would certainly be a clear front runner at this point. Um, and, and look, if he can get his name on the Bakersfield airport, you know, Bill Thomas, his mentor, is right. like he has a terminal. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, if he's Speaker of the House, he might have a claim to the Kevin McCarthy Airport in Bakersville. And when you're in Bakersfield, and <laughs> if you are, um, you know, if you're kind of a small town guy and you love politics and you love, again, like Lindsay, you love being in the room, you have sort of a bright eyed approach to, to politics. He has sort of a starstruck tendency. He loves going through his phone and showing you pictures of himself with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Donald Trump and whoever else. I mean, Paul Ryan, I mean, he's, he, he could do this for hours. It's, it's a real kick. And, and, you know, you need, again, you need Donald Trump's blessing to continue with that kick. You know, Bill Thomas's mentor too, the legendary congressman before him or he was staff was an incredibly effective legislature and also a world-class hothead. So I think Kevin needs somebody to yell at him every day. Oh, absolutely. It feels like home. Well, if he needs someone to yell at him every day, he's going to enjoy being Speaker of the House with that caucus. Oh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so. I'm not sure he will be Speaker, by the way. I think they're going to underperform a little. They're going to win, but the expectations are huge. And Trump, I mean, if I were Kevin, I'd send him some abridged, uh, uh, simplified Shakespeare to read because I think Trump would love to do a man. No, I actually, the, the whole thing has the earmarks of a great parable. Yeah. about you know the faustian bargain another version of the faustian bargain hey you guys you know what it's time for the mailbag it's listener mailbag 
If you have a question for the mailbag, send it to us at our secret bat email address, which is hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com, or check it out. If you've done it in the past, resend it if we didn't get to it. Second, if you really want to know what's going on, subscribe to the must-read Hacks on Tap newsletter that Gibbs and I do, full of jokes and insults and some things you don't get in the podcast. comes through your email twice a week. It's totally free. Get that free, a national tragedy, but your benefit. Just go to hacksontap.bulletin dot com hacks on tap dot bulletin dot com okay question number one from and i apologize if i'm mispronouncing your name here caitlin who asked david axelrod this fetterman and his staff frequently dunk and sh exclamation point t post oz as a campaign strategy in a way that makes democrats around the country super excited are democrats just high on their own supply excellent or are twitter dunks actually effective campaign messaging and if it is effective does this concern you at all well it's an interesting uh case pennsylvania Be, uh, one of the reasons that they're running the kind of campaign they're running is out of necessity uh, because their candidate had a stroke john fetterman struck shortly before the election so they've had to carry a lot of the campaign on social media they've used some footage of him uh that they uh, filmed before the stroke. He's made one major appearance uh, since then. But man, they've been effective by they they have been effective by driving uh, a story uh, that I think is a you know uh, it's not a contrived story. Uh, Doctor Oz is not from Pennsylvania. He doesn't. He hasn't lived in Pennsylvania. He just said the other day. So I said my my family settled. Uh, uh, just uh, south of Philadelphia. Well, that's New Jersey. Uh, so, so, and he has a little trouble with veggie trays too. Apparently. Yes, which he, uh, he calls uh, Belgian endive will be next. Yes. So, I mean, he is completely out of sync with the state. He's well underwater in in polling uh, for that reason. He's one of the candidates Trump saddled the Republican Party with. If if Dave McCormick had won that primary, I suspect it would be a much more competitive situation right now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, using social media to lampoon uh, Dr. Oz is like shooting fish in a barrel, and they're abetting a strategy or they're advancing a uh, an image of him that is rooted in something real, and it's been really effective. And uh, he's cooperated by going on a long vacation after the primary and kind of half acid, half half, how you say it, half acidly uh, pursuing this. That said, given the year, given the state, who knows. The other thing, those videos go across the country, and in the modern era of internet politics, yes, it, they quickly lead to click and twelve dollars flies. And across he's the raised, internet at low raised cost. a boatload so of he money. He has raised right. a sh exclamation t to pick up <laughs> Caitlin's expression of money, which can pay for all the regular stuff. So they're they're home run effective. They're getting him tremendous free press. They're bringing in money. Well done campaign. Also, yeah. in fairness, I mean, Doctor Ross is giving him so much material to work. There's with. There's no True. doubt. Yeah. No, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. It, it is. And fish, not only fish, but fish off the Jersey Shore. <laughs> okay. Exactly. You can see them at night the way they glow, too. It's uh, mm -hmm. not hard. <laughs>
<laughs> Murphy, Stephen. Yes, sir. It says, my 14-year-old daughter, Charlotte, loves politics and public policy. She closely follows politics and is generally scared about the direction of the, the, the country is taking. What would you tell a 14-year-old to help keep her faith in Madisonian democracy and the promise that this country offers? Excellent question. And way to go, Charlotte. I hope you stick with politics. I, I would say this. There's a lot to be scared about right now. But there's a huge advantage in being 14, which means you own the future, you and you and the other uh, uh, folks your age and, and slightly older, because the nice thing about old voters is after voting a long time and hopefully in a wise way, they they graduate to the election in the sky. So young voters become all voters. And if you choose to have that kind of country that we ought to be, that Madisonian democracy will prevail over the orange dictatorship that some would flirt with now. But I'm betting on your generation and the one ahead of you, Charlotte. My point being, stay with politics. Young voters control the future. You will have the power to steer us back. Don't give up. Charlotte, uh, let me just add that, uh, you know, we in our generations have taken a lot for granted. But the the uh, the guys and it was guys who started this because women weren't allowed uh, at least overtly to participate had this idea that democracy would be a self renewing thing if people participated and if citizens participated and there was a justice uh, Brandeis of, on the Supreme Court who said the highest office in the, in a democracy is the office of citizen and that's right. And uh, it, this requires all of us to pay attention, to participate, to to fight in the right way for the, the country that we believe in. And the right way is through the electoral process and to make your voices heard that way, to run for office if you like to, to support people who do, uh, to support causes you believe in, but to try and affect change through the process. And... Uh, one hopes, I, I, I fervently, I, I run an institute of politics at the University of Chicago uh, because I believe in you guys and I believe you can reclaim this democracy and get it back on track. So, uh, so don't disappoint us. The last question here, the big answer is going to Lebo. All right. That is from the esteemed listener, Daniel, who wants to know from Mark, what do you think the political climate and state of affairs would be like today if Trump had indeed won the 2020 election and had been inaugurated without question? Do you think the temperature of current political discourse would be equally white hot or would we be in a very different position? What's the next level up from white hot? Um, <laughs> it, it is nuclear. It, it, nuclear, yeah. It, it, it's um, it's almost unthinkable. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, yeah, we, everyone imagined it. I mean, it could happen again. Yeah, Trump without any kind of check and balance, especially if they kept the Senate, if Republicans kept the Senate, no thought of facing voters again. Although, who knows? I mean, he might, you know, he might try to unterm limit himself in the second term. No, I, I can't imagine it would have been. I mean, look, I, I think one of the reasons Joe Biden won and Kevin McCarthy said this explicitly is Joe Biden was quiet. He was just, you know, I think his line in that, I guess it was the, was it the first or second debate? Uh, will you shut up, man? That to me was like a line that was born on a bumper sticker. And I think there was a level of exhaustion that 
won Biden a lot of votes. And and look, I mean, who knows what Trump would have done? I mean, he was so he was talking about his own 2016 victory and so high on that. He had so much impunity. I can't imagine it would have been a peaceful few years and a fun few years. And, um, you know, at least Biden has been at least at the very least a break from that. You know, with Trump, we'd probably have troops on the ground at war in Ukraine. The problem is we'd be on the Russian side. So there's no telling <laughs> beyond the domestic discord how nutty it would be in foreign policy. The book by Mark Leibovich, the great one, is thank you for your servitude. And let me just add a reader's note here. Yes, it's got all the highfalutin, smart, you know, look at the government. It's funny. The descriptions yeah. are magnificent. You are a tremendous writer. The the just descriptive power of it is incredible, and it'll make you laugh out loud, which not a lot of books about American politics can do. Thank you. So rush out today and uh, and get your copy. It, it will make you laugh out loud and perhaps shed a tear or two for uh, for the the current state of uh, our politics. You can buy a lot of goodwill by making people laugh a little bit. I think that there was a lot of scorn and ridicule that was sort of left. I, you know, to the fog of despair over four years. And I, I think that, yeah, look, it, it's not, it's not a crime to laugh about this stuff. Um, and, you know, obviously it's deathly serious too. So, um, you know, beneath any laughter that might come out of it, you should know that I think it's a very serious story and I am as nervous as everyone else is. And, uh, hopefully including Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, Charlotte, good I, for Charlotte. We ought to have her on. Comedy does live in tragedy, Mark, and I think you nail it absolutely. well. Thank you for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. This was great. Great to be with you, Murphy. We'll see you soon. Thanks, pal. Great to see you guys. See you guys. Bye. Bye.